It's just so interesting to have live audio and I have this feeling of just sheer electricity. Like that's the only way I can explain it. It's almost like you're in this like massive football stadium. You're standing right in the center, holding a mic to this other person. And it's just so hard to like replicate in any other form or anywhere else. You're listening to Media Unscripted presented by FIP. The podcast that chats to the big names in media about their passions, their opinions, and their personal experiences in this challenging industry. This podcast is brought to you by Pressreader, the world's largest digital newsstand. With Pressreader, publishers reach diverse audiences and monetize their content in new ways. Bring your publications to every corner of the globe, including at sea and in the air. Join Pressreader today. Hello and welcome to the very first episode of FIP Unscripted, presented by me, Charlotte Ricker. I'm a journalist, podcaster and presenter and have worked with FIP for a number of years. Now, I love interviewing people and finding out what makes them tick. And I'm also passionate about media, which is an industry I've worked in for nearly 30 years. Oh, my God. I just realised that really ages me. Anyway, I am really excited to be involved in FIP Unscripted because over the years I've seen so many changes in media, both good and bad, and I'm really looking forward to speaking to the people driving and managing these changes. So, who better to kick things off than Arti Ramamurti, Head of International at Clubhouse, the much-debated and sometimes disparaged app that has been described as part talkback radio, part conference call and part house party. Age just 37, Artie has already made a real impact on the tech industry and her story is a really interesting and inspirational one because she comes from a small village called Cheno in India but she was recruited by Microsoft a year before she graduated from college as one of the youngest ever product managers and she went on to build products such as Xbox Live and Netflix video streaming software. Before her latest appointment at Clubhouse, she was director of product at Facebook Now, she's focused on building global communities at the audio-only chat app. In this interview, Artie talks about what inspired her to get into tech and offers advice for women wanting to follow in her footsteps. According to Artie, things are slowly starting to get better and Clubhouse is challenging gender and racial gaps in technology. Now, Clubhouse has taken quite a bit of flack, especially when it saw a massive drop in downloads post-COVID lockdown. However, since the Android rollout in 2021, numbers increased by a massive 312% from May to April. To date, Clubhouse has been downloaded nearly 26 million times and the company recently reported it has 10 million weekly users. Now, they are obviously very, very big numbers, but as with anything in media, it's all about converting those numbers into cash. And Artie talks about how they plan on monetizing their users. It was really great talking to Artie. So we hope you enjoy listening. Artie, hello. Thank you so much for joining us on the FIP Insider podcast. I really appreciate your time. Yeah. I just want to start off really before we talk about the club first, talking about you because yeah. you've had a fairly incredible career straight out of college, straight into Microsoft. Since then, work for Netflix. You've also founded your own company, Lumoid, which is a try before you buy service for consumer electronics. You've never really steered off course, have you? It's been tech all the way. It's been my forte, yeah. So uh, this is my story. I have a master's in computer science uh, from India, moved uh, after a year of working at Microsoft in India to Seattle. So I've been at, I was at Microsoft for about six years, working on everything from Xbox and low-level 
you know, engineering, like low-level binders, loaders, developer systems, things like that. And then decided to move to the Bay Area because at that time, all the cool kids were moving to the Bay Area. I, at some point, wanted to start a company. And uh, we said, okay, why not? And so we decided to move over to the Bay Area and work at Netflix. Um, and uh, Netflix at that time is very, very different from Netflix of today. This was 11 years ago. So okay. no original content, no programming, nothing of that sort. It was all like licensed content, very small company. Um, and my job was to work on international partnerships. So to go work on integrating Netflix into TVs and set-top boxes and Blu-ray players um, with Samsung, Sony, all these other uh -huh. companies. Did that, uh, decided now was the time to go start a company after a while. So started two companies, sold both of them, then ended up working at Facebook. And now I'm here at Clubhouse uh, wow. with running the international side of things. Wow. So... Tech's clearly been your, it's always been your passion. What inspired you as a, as a young girl and a young woman? What inspired you to get into technology? So that's a very interesting question, and I think about it a lot. I have a younger sister who's much younger than me, and you know sometimes I talk to her cohort of classmates, people like she, you know, her friend group. And uh, I've always been interested in tech. I think uh, I wrote uh, my first piece of code when I was nine years old or 10 years old, my dad got a, you know, an old Windows 3.1 DOS uh, hmm. you know, computer. It basically did nothing except print, uh, you know, dot. You, it, we connected with the dot matrix printer and yeah. all it did was like just print out pages and pages of stuff, like very buggy kind of printer. Um, but it was just a lot of fun. And uh, I started learning to program basic DOS, then went on to Lisp and functional programming and all of that. And it was just, I think when I had to make a choice in college on whether I could pick biology or computer mm -hmm. science, mm -hmm. it wasn't even a choice. It was just mm. so straightforward. Um, and so I've always been interested in tech. Um, and weirdly enough, at that point, nobody in my family was in tech or mm. computer science. And uh, it was just something that I'd picked up I thought I was good at it, and I thought it was interesting, mm -hmm. and uh, just started getting on it. How many years ago was that when you joined Microsoft? I Yeah, I'm dating myself, but it's uh, 2005 was when I joined, okay. about 16 years ago. Yeah, so, I mean, again, the climate has changed massively since then. I mean, were you, yeah. I imagine you're to a certain extent, still in the minority, but how much of the minority were you in back then? I mean, you know, what other female role models were there when you started Microsoft? Were there women at the top that you could aspire to be? Um, so when in India, we had a, you know, in my team, we had an engineering manager who was a woman um, and we had like reasonable diversity, I think. And I, I, again, I'm trying to understand why this is the case, but when I grew up in my class in college, uh, two-thirds of the computer science group were female. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it was just this overwhelming majority. All of us went on to like get different jobs. I'm still in touch with a lot of people. And then I think uh, uh, after we moved over to Seattle, that's when we started seeing this drop where yeah. like Xbox was like, I think there was me and another woman in our entire team. Mm. Um, and... Uh, and, you know, the ratios were just like, you know, very much like, I think tech ratios for uh, male to female is about like 90, 10. Wow. 
and I can't quite explain it. You know, everybody has theories from everything from pipeline problem all the way to, you know, what is the right way to go address bringing in more women into computer science? And I don't have easy solutions here. But I think, no. uh, you know, when I look at a team like Clubhouse, uh, I think for me, one of the most interesting things is uh, I think about half the company uh, are all women. And it's yeah. wonderful. It's I've never seen a tech company at this early stage where we're able to have, um, I think we had, all the women came together, I think two or three weeks ago in San Francisco, mm-hmm. you know, once a quarter or so we come in and meet in one place. And I looked around the room and I was like, I've never seen these many women in such a small company work together. Um, and it's just, it's it's kind of, it's really inspiring because it just, it feels like, yeah. you, you know, this is one of the anomalous companies that made it happen. So I'm really, I'm proud of yeah. that and I'm really thrilled about that. And well, I mean, you know, and you're now hopefully inspiring women to to follow your path. And, and I mean, you've been described as one of the top influential women in the US, which is quite, um, that's that's quite a lot of pressure um <laughs> and not only female but a woman of color which is which again is something that we, we need to see more of in the tech world and what advice would you give to anyone who wants to who wants to get involved in the tech space i think uh, when i was starting out we didn't have a lot of programs to get more women into tech we didn't have these stem programs we didn't have men- like you know just mentorship formally uh, we didn't have a lot of that. There was just so few women that you just had no idea who to go reach out to. I think things have all like I think things have evolved a lot now, where um, there are now these very specific programs. You have uh, girls who code, uh, even for like you know BIPOC communities. You have a lot of um, you know just groups that are specifically meant to like help uh, girls, kids get into STEM and computer science very early mm-hmm. on. So. You know, if you're a parent, you know, I have a daughter who's two and a half years old. I think about this all the time. Mm-hmm. And so if you're a parent, you know, take advantage of these groups. Um, there are lots of coding summer camps. There are lots of these. Yeah. So I think if you build the right foundation, it, that's about the max you can do as a parent. Like after yeah. that, it's yeah. really up to them to figure out if they're interested in computer science or if they're not. But giving them the optionality, I think, goes a long way. Well. But I guess it's also about the companies employing the right people and making sure they 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 employ right. they employ the women and the you know I mean it's the parents' job to get the child educated but it's the company's job to to employ you and obviously Clubhouse did employ you yeah no Clubhouse is just special because you know not only do we have almost about like half of the team being female um, I think also racially Clubhouse's partnerships team for example is a seventy five percent BIPOC which you know again it's it's not what you would see in every other typical tech company. So yeah. I think in every way, Clubhouse is just different. Yeah. And well, talking about that, that, that difference, I mean, to what extent do you think the Clubhouse format is genuinely new? Or is it just sort of an in- innovative approach to what was kind of already there? You know, it's networking, right? Um, I think if you look at it, I, I see it in two ways. If you look at Voice, and Voice is a social platform, that is always existed. I think it has existed since the history of mankind, right? Like, you know, this is how people communicate. There's nothing special about two people talking to each other. Um, and uh, you just have, you know, people being able to communicate in uh, vocally. But then if you look at applying this social audio format 
in a way where on your phone you can pick up, you can listen to an audience who are like thousands and thousands of miles away from you mm-hmm. um, and are being able to connect. You know, I think um, I could be wrong because for me, the, my clubhouse experience as a creator uh, was very different, very special. I started creating, you know, uh, uh, my own show um, back in December. It's called The Good Time Show and we still do, mm-hmm. you know, sh- shows on it. And mm-hmm. for me as a creator, I'd never seen a platform like this. Um, yeah. It was just, I had never usually considered myself a creator. Creator meant like, you know, you were an influencer who had a specific clout. You were like really good at one specific thing. Um, you know, you would see creators on other platforms. And I worked mm-hmm. on these platforms. So I knew these creators. But Clubhouse was very different because uh, for the first time I could pick up my phone get into a room, host a conversation, and I was a creator. And uh, it felt really low friction. It felt really authentic. Mm -hmm. And I'd never had anything of that sort because voice is so electric, like live audio is so electric. It's so powerful. Mm. Um, And I'd never seen anything like it. So even today we host, you know, every, like we host guests, everyone from like Virgil Abloh, um, you know, technology experts, startup Mm. enthusiasts, venture capitalists, all the way to you know, musicians like Calvin Harris, like all these folks. And we host all of these conversations. And it's just so authentic. Yeah. You do it with your husband, right? Which is really great. Yeah, um, we both do it together. Yeah, it's fantastic. And, and I mean, you've had like you said, some massive names. And I guess the key thing is, which for me feels like the whole reason why Clubhouse has got attention and why your show gets, has got a lot of attention is because of the big names are involved. And I think it's that exclusivity that makes people want to be part of it. And I think that's part of the secret of the Clubhouse. So for the Good Time Show, I mean, um, can you sort of tell me, is there a particular highlight? Is there a particular memorable talk? You know, if something's like, oh my God, I can't quite believe I've got these people in the, you know, in, in the virtual room together. Was there a particular moment? We Yeah, we've had a few of those. And, you know, like I said, for me, it just comes from this perspective that I'd never thought of myself as a creator. And so when I look at um, each of these rooms, I think, right, so here is how it works. We, once a guest decides to come on the show, Shriram and I, my husband, we prepare, we have like, you know, this is kind of the set of questions that we think Mm -hmm. we want to cover, but Mm -hmm. it's a very, very high level kind of preparation doc. And uh, what we do is we just brainstorm with each other on who wants to tackle which area, what mm-hmm. do we want to cover, what do you think our audience would like uh, and our set of users would want, uh, what what would a conversation be that is authentic uh, and mm. true to the nature of how we do this show. And uh, and then when the show goes live, I'm every single time I get hit with this, I can't believe this is happening. And whether it's a mm-hmm. really famous guest or whether it is you know, somebody who's just up and coming, a new startup, a new crypto technology, whichever it is, Mm. it is just really fun because I wish I had this when I was growing up uh, to be in this room. And, you know, I grew up in India in a small town, very sleepy little town, and I didn't have access to all of this. And so Mm. for me, you know, uh, I wish I had this and I hope that somewhere some kid is like really interested in it. Are they're able to like listen in? So when we do shows like you know um, Elon Musk or any of these like big names, you don't often have access to them. You know outside of like written media, like they do interviews, mm-hmm. they do prints, like that kind of thing. 
Um, and so for me, it's just, it's just so interesting to have live audio. And I have this feeling of just sheer electricity. Like that's the only way I can explain it, mm-hmm. where you're live, you're in this room. It's almost like you're in this like massive football stadium um, and uh, you're standing right in the center, holding a mic to this other person and just asking them questions. Like that's the feeling I get. Mm-hmm. And it's just so mm-hmm. hard to like replicate in any other form or anywhere else. Sure. And you talk about people listening in, and obviously, as I said, it's quite, you know, it's, it's got a name has been quite an exclusive club. You have to be invited by a member, right? That's changed now. So Clubhouse is now available for everyone. It's not invite only anymore. We had a huge wait list, but now, you know, it's, the app is open to everyone. You know, it's, it's going so well. Like now we have 600,000 rooms created daily. We have over 60 plus minutes uh, of people, like an average user spends over an hour on the app every day. And so for us... Part of it is like, yes, we have these moments like the Elon moment, we have these big names, but really once people come in, it's the community that keeps them together Mm -hmm. and keeps them to continue engaging with each Mm -hmm. other. So for me, I have found friendships. I have found people who, you know, I would have never met otherwise. And, you know, it's, it sounds really corny, but social media stopped being about friendships and friending, like in a true sense. Um, and I feel like Clubhouse is like kind of rediscovering that. And so you talked about the fact that it's an open app and it was obviously it was Apple only, wasn't it, initially? Now it's on Android. What was this decision yeah. behind, first of all, making it only on Apple and then to then open it up to Android? Yeah, honestly, this was just a decision on sequencing. Um, and when we look at it, Clubhouse is still very, very small. Like, you know, the number of employees we had until January or February was maybe about like nine people. Wow. Um, all in. And so, it's a, you know, when we think about it, it's not, we want to be on all platforms, catering to all countries, especially like now that is my role. Um, I'm the head of international there. So I have, I really want this to be, mm, mm. you know, available for everyone so they can use it. Um, but I think honestly, this was just a matter of sequencing where, we had so few engineers and our product team working on this. So it took us until May for us to like actually build and roll out the Android version. And, you know, I'm fully aware I come from a country which is entirely Android focused. Okay. And so for me, the moment we mm. launched in May, we started seeing all these other international markets also light up in addition sure. to the markets that we saw for iPhone. And uh, now we are at a place where we are on all platforms. We don't have invite list. Uh, it's open to everyone. So any person can pick up their phone, download Clubhouse, get started and join the room right away. One thing that I've read, I'm sort of curious to know your thoughts on this, is that is that the Clubhouse was described as the darling of the, pan, of the pandemic. And obviously it suited very well the fact that people, people couldn't move around and people were at home and it's a perfect opportunity, right, to launch this, this app. And people, I read, were selling their invite codes for hundreds of dollars on eBay. Um, yeah. you know, and it's been incredible. It's valid at $4 billion early this year, yeah. uh, which is in- incredible for, for short, short space of time since its launch. But then Business Insider um, have reported that the installs of the app on iOS fell from $9.6 million in February to less than a million in April. And yeah. I'm just wondering, has is, is Clubhouse been a victim of the COVID vaccine? People are moving around now, maybe they need it less. Um, I don't think so. I think um, it really depends on, you know, when uh, we see these reports all the time and, you know, I have access to internal data. Like I said, 
I do international, which means part of my job is to like make sure we are growing in each of these markets. And so even when, you know, we've seen restrictions ease up in, say, New Zealand and U.S. and other markets throughout the summer, we've seen growth. We've seen we've continued to grow. Um, and so while, you know, Clubhouse definitely started during the pandemic, uh, but we've continued to grow even after like, you know, markets and everybody else, like some specific countries have like bounced back. Um, even if you look at like installs um, and look at the metrics there, installs bounced back pretty massively this summer. Um, and downloads, since we launched on Android in late May, uh, I think we are now well in excess of, I think, 10 million uh, on just Android. And so um, I think it's really about um, which platform, which country, where are you seeing? And when we see these reports, they're very cohort-based instead of looking at the full picture. And for us, we have to look at the full picture because Clubhouse is a global company and we mm -hmm. have to look at installs everywhere, downloads everywhere. So where's the, where's the biggest growth area? There are specific countries which grow really well. I think for us, you know, US is like a huge market for us. It's a priority market for us. We'll continue to grow there. Uh, we've seen growth, you know, UK is a huge market for us. When we look at rooms, um, uh, you know, yesterday we were talking to this creator, Ashley Louise, and uh, she does these rooms on Love Island. And uh, they're really great. It's just, I never thought I would be a fan of Love Island, but it's like, it's addictive. Like you listen to her talk about it and it's great. We see tech business rooms in the UK, um, you know, football rooms. There's a lot of conversation this summer on football. Um, mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. we saw a ton of Olympics coverage. Similarly, Japan, again, you know, the whole, the it's basically our leading indicator of how things are going in Asia. And Japan, you know, we've had everything mm -hmm. from, um, you know, comic writing, like anime, manga writing rooms, all the way to like sports, Olympics coverage. Um, we see different patterns. We look at countries like India, which is predominantly, you know, Bollywood, cricket, music, those kind of conversations. Mm -hmm. So every, every country has its own culture, has its own norms and what they want to build and showcase sure. on Clubhouse. But, you know, we've seen specific countries that have seen massive growth for us. The key question is, What's the monetization model on this? Yeah, so right now, you know, in the U.S., we have uh, tipping where, uh, you know, you can directly tip a creator and, uh, you know, it goes through this payment platform called Stripe, but we don't take uh, any cut of it. You know, 100% of the uh, payment goes to them except for, like, the credit card processing fee that this company, okay. Stripe, takes. Um, and we are rolling it out internationally to different markets. Uh, but, you know, in the future through this fall, we are going to have new kinds of ways to pay creators and, uh, you know, basically have an incentive for people to be able to uh, earn an income, make a living, like whatever they want to do on Clubhouse to be able to make that possible because we understand and acknowledge that monetization is really important. So, you know, some of the you know programs that we are thinking about are tipping, subscriptions, ticketed events, um, you know, things like that, where it's not just paying somebody one time, but you can also, if you really like mm. this creator, you can continue to pay them. You can attend their events. Well, what about, sure, but that's paying the creators. What about paying the clubhouse? So right now we don't take a cut, but as we roll out new monetization options, we'll figure out, you know, what does it mean for us to make income based on the transaction itself? Sure, because Clubhouse could be accused of being another big tech, you know, big tech company coming up with a great product, but actually you can't monetize it. So kind of what's the point? And I guess that's 
that's what people want to see. They want to see that can can these new technologies, can it actually make money? And obviously from your background, yeah. you were the director of product at Facebook, yeah. you led projects such as the digital payment product. Um, and so I'm wondering, what does the product roadmap look like for Clubhouse? What kind of ideas have you got? Yeah, I think, um, like I said, I think, you know, you're right. You know, for a company like ours uh, or any company to sustain itself, we have to figure out a monetization model. And so some of the things that we are thinking about in the roadmap, you know, are tipping, subscriptions, ticketed events, that kind of thing. Uh, and f- the primary focus is make sure that creators, I feel like if we build a really good platform for creators to make an income, you know, mm-hmm. we will find success. But, you know, the way we sustain ourselves as a company is we will take a small percentage cut. Sure. Uh, that's kind of, that's our sustenance model as these creators and communities thrive on Clubhouse. What about advertising? No plans right now. I don't think we are uh, thinking about advertising. We are not in the business of, you know, selling user data, user information right now for um, advertising or putting up banner ads or anything of that sort. Um, for us, this is more like, this is a different, it's a social network that is based on live audio, but it's very different because for us, it's uh, it's really about building that community on the platform. And I know I keep saying that mm-hmm. a lot, but we truly mean that in the sense of community for us is really everything where sure. if they don't come onto the platform and create, I feel like, the technology can only go so far. Like the use cases and how they're using it is really what is important. So no plans on doing ads right now. Sure. And and what about sort of copycatting, you know, the likes of Facebook and Twitter and Slack and even Spotify starting to create features to compete directly with the clubhouse. So what's stopping other platforms from doing the same as you? I mean, we've seen other platforms try to do the same thing, but I think for us really what distinguishes ourselves is uh, one, you know, this is, we've, you know, we've started the entire Clubhouse platform a lot earlier. We've focused on just creators and doing fewer things, getting it right. Our growth has, like, continued to, um, we've continued to grow in the face of um, all of these tech giants uh, who've been able to, like, imitate us and build ex- the exact same clone, exact same copies. So we're not worried about, you know, can other tech companies imitate us? Like, that's already happened. So for us, mm-hmm. the things that we focus on is, uh, you know, one is community building and make sure that we have the strongest communities on our platform. The second, you know, we are a small tech startup. Um, and, you know, for us, we need to focus and we really need to focus on fewer things and getting them really right. And I think that's really what our advantage is. When, when you look at like these big tech giants, they can't focus on one thing. They have other obligations and they have other products. And for us, this is it. Like, this is what we want to go focus on. So our focus is, has been the key. Sure, because obviously you came from Facebook and that's all about building communities, isn't it? I mean, but but it's a it's a tech giant. It's a huge, huge company and they do have advertising. And um, yeah. how how different does it feel working for the clubhouse? And, and in terms of, terms of the way... It's attracting its audience in the terms of the way you you see its future developing. Yeah, is it so different? It's very different. Um, and you know, for me, every role in the past, not just Facebook versus Clubhouse, has been so different from each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I've deliberately, like now in hindsight, I feel like I've deliberately picked roles which just like throw me into this and help me learn really quickly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, Clubhouse is very similar in some ways to my own startups where. Um, you know, we are a small team, small company, uh, lots of other companies trying to do something similar, mm-hmm. uh, focus on few key things and get it right. 
but I think where Clubhouse is really different is the growth that we've seen. Um, you know, Clubhouse started, you know, last March. It's about 17, 18 months old. And so, you know, for the time span that it's been in, it's just seen really significant growth. And so for me, part of that is like what's really exciting because you want to be on something where creators really understand it. Um, I joined Clubhouse in, I think, last June or July, and I was immediately hooked. Um, I, you know, December, I started becoming a creator and I haven't stopped, like nine months in, I haven't stopped being a creator. And so for me, I saw myself as a user. And for me, that just became... Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. you know, oh, I have to go do this. Like this is no longer just about uh, international growth or anything of that sort. It just made sense that I want to come do this. And uh, it for me, the comparison is with my own startups that I built as opposed to Facebook because mm -hmm. Facebook is a very, very different company. It's massive, lots and lots of products. You can literally do anything from AR, VR and, uh, you know, virtual reality headset products all the way to very low level engineering backend stuff. Like it really depends on where, which team, which part of the org you are in. And I focused mm -hmm. on, you know, creators, communities, monetization. So that also led me to have to gain a lot of experience in this space. Um, and on Clubhouse, our creator market's very different, but the focus on community is really what is exciting for me. Talking about the audio market gen more generally, what particularly excites you in the audio market? In the audio market, um, you know, we've seen, when I look at audio as a consumer, not as a Clubhouse employee, I look at everything from podcast space, uh, people listening to music, um, Audible, you know, the kind of like record, like ebooks mm -hmm. and uh, that kind of format. And, you know, I'm, I love all of those formats. I'm generally really busy. I run around behind my two and a half year old. Uh, mm -hmm. And so for me, it's all about like, what can I, how do I maximize, you know, my learning mm -hmm. while mm -hmm. I'm able to do everything else? So audio has just been a really good format for me. Um, and what I've noticed at least is Clubhouse has started replacing a lot of those. We have these like, you know, now we have TED Talks on Clubhouse and it's amazing. You know, I look at that and uh, it's just really short rooms that help me learn a lot. Mm -hmm. um, I mm -hmm. look at rooms uh, and, you know, I haven't gone back home to visit my parents in India in, in about two years now. And wow. so for me, um, when I listen to Indian rooms, it just takes me back home. Um, I'm able to connect with, you know, people from my city, my town. They speak the same language. And that's been really special for me. So I kind of see technology as a means to an end, not an end in itself. And, and mm -hmm. uh, when you look at the end in itself... Do I feel much more connected because of these audio platforms? I certainly do. I feel like I've now gotten closer to my town and my country back home. Like it's in, in, in a very substantial way that it's just hard to explain. And it's not the same as like listening to a recorded podcast or, you know, watching mm -hmm. somebody post something. We just had our Independence Day on Sunday. And, you know, you would often see somebody post on feed or on Twitter somewhere being like, happy Independence Day. And it was very transactional. Now it feels yeah. much more connected. I was able to join these rooms by our Indian creators who were able to come in and bring singers and do this musical concert. And it felt so real. It was like as if I was sitting in there in the audience listening to them. So I just think... While there are lots of audio platforms and formats, uh, there are so few 
that have the electricity and energy um, of a platform like Clubhouse. Um, and uh, that's also like for me, what was really appealing when I started here. Sure. And in terms of the demographic, I'm curious about that because, I mean, in the UK for podcasts, around 40% of UK listeners are aged 26 to 35. They're, that's the kind of the key, the key demographic. What is the demographic of the clubhouse? Um, I think, uh, you know, I could pull up uh, numbers for us here and it really, the demographic for us varies a lot uh, from country to country. I think we look at it as, uh, you know, which markets, who are we catering to, um, and uh, scale that out. But, you know, I you know, we have very limited data right now, but when anytime we do third-party surveys, we've shown, you know, it's it's the younger cohort, like heavily 18 to 34-year-old, um, tends, hinges slightly towards male than female, very highly okay. educated. Uh, that's kind of the cohort that we are looking at with uh, as the main Clubhouse users on our platform. Mm-hmm. Because that is very, very... Um, that that data, that demographic has a lot of value, right? Very, very high value. And lots of people would love to get hold of that. Exactly. But you're very, but that, but you're very clear that there's, you're not going to be selling that data, using that data. There's no advertising going on. No advertising. The way we, you know, for us to grow the business, we look at it as like, how do we create, uh, connect creators with brands? So we'll build things like brand marketplace, uh, where if you are a big brand and you want to reach out to people, um, you can like work with these creators and use our marketplace, but you know we are not going to do anything that is programmatic, anything that tracks data, um, or you know anything that has to do have like we've you know I worked on these platforms where we have these pixels to track what users are like entering, listening to, all of that stuff. We don't do any of that. For us, it's about how do we get um, you know sponsorships for our creators so that they can continue to do what they do best. Um, you know, an example for us, for example, is like Ted Baker or BMW or Bumble, all of these folks, these brands um, have sponsored rooms on Clubhouse uh, and they've sponsored our creators. And that is very different because there's no data exchange as such in the sense of like there's nothing programmatic that goes on, but um, it's a direct relationship between brands on one side and creators on the other side. And it's a marketplace between them. Sure. I guess it's just that that sort of skepticism because obviously Facebook have been under attack in the press of selling, allowing third-party app to access data without people knowing it. And I think that's such a hot topic, isn't it? Um, and it's just a way of how do you, how can you ensure that your users, that their data is safe? I, I mean, I think my personal viewpoint is uh, privacy is a fundamental right. Uh, you have to make sure that your data uh, you know exactly what is happening with uh, what you have on the platform. You know, um, when you are a user who's not a technologist, you don't expect to understand what happens to your data on the platform. And uh, I think tech platforms uh, need to educate, need to be in the business of like telling people what happens when you create an account and when you set up a profile and when you like write, talk about it or post something. And I think, uh, you know, at least at, at Clubhouse, for example, we make it really clear. We make sure that you know, we tell people we don't track any data. Um, we, you know, we also, all of it is live audio. It is all um, all of, all about uh, being able to uh, be in the moment, have that conversation. So we don't record anything right now. Um, and for us, it's all about like, are you there in that moment having that conversation? 
but you know when i look sure. at like I, when you look at generally uh, as a, a tech platform thing this has been a hot button topic for years now and so yeah. i think it's just a difference in business models sure and you mentioned this so um with the ted talk etc it's all live you can't listen to it after the event uh right i think uh you know right now the way we've where clubhouse works is it's all live audio and uh we don't you know that we don't have a recording of it or anything of that sort okay, but you know some crea- yeah and some creators though they explicitly put up that they're recording it it's there on the room okay. title we give them best practices on what they should do so if they are for example recording a room like a ted conversation or some good time show episodes where we've mm-hmm. had some guests who you know want to come in at like you know 7 a.m. San Francisco time which is an absurd time for most people in Japan for example mm-hmm. um and so what we do is we make sure that pe- we tell people that it's being recorded and then we have sure. them uh, available as podcast later so people who are in a different part of the world can still get access to the content and are able to listen to it sure And and I know we're coming to the end of our time together. I really, really appreciate it. Just what I really want to ask is, what are what are you most excited in the tech space right now? What's most exciting you? What what inspires oh. you? What drives you? It's such an exciting time to be in technology, and I say this pretty much every year. I am just you know part of the reason why we started uh, the Good Time Show is because Shriram and I are such huge fans of technology, and it's again it sounds really cheesy, but. technology has given us everything um mm-hmm. you know this is kind of been our path to success and coming here and being able to work in companies like clubhouse so for us we we are technology optimists uh and i think you almost have to be to be in the space where things change a lot but when we look at um you know a clubhouse and in the context of you know technology around that for us like i think what's really exciting is new platforms idea of new companies coming into the space there's just so much innovation that's happening and it's going to happen continuing to evolve um uh, there's just so much energy now i think 2 years ago if you'd said live audio live social audio is going to be amazing it's this whole new mm, thing mm, mm. nobody would have believed you and yet here we yeah. are uh we are at a time where there's just this like really interesting uh excitement and energy that's going into live audio sure. and i you know that's the future i think for the next foreseeable future that's where i think a lot of momentum is going to be sure sure brilliant that's great thank you thank you so much for your time it's been really really fascinating talk, talking to you thank you so much charlotte this was really fun well that's it for our very first episode of fit unscripted we really hope you enjoyed the conversation with arty In our next episode, we'll be talking to Katie Vanek Smith from Tortoise Media. Now, I'm sure you all know Katie, but in case you don't, she's the woman responsible for creating the UK's first ever paywall. Katie also put a rocket up the backside of the Wall Street Journal and increased its subscriber base to 3 million readers, which was the largest number in history. And she's now on a mission to slow news down with Tortoise. It's a really frank and funny interview, and I love talking to Katie, so make sure you don't miss it. This podcast wouldn't be possible without our sponsor's press reader. and also be possible without you our listeners so thank you and please don't forget to like and subscribe and we'll see you next time on fip on scripted